0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Scripture reading this morning is going to be Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. If you're using one of the Blue Pew Bibles, you will find these verses on page 1007. Hebrews chapter 11 verses 1 through 3. Before we hear the reading of God's Word, let us pray and ask for His blessing on us through his word this morning father we come before you humbly asking that you would remember your promise that your word will not return void father may the same spirit who inspired the author of this letter to write these words may he even now be active among us opening our hearts and our minds to receive them that we might be renewed and transformed by them, and that we might bring forth its fruit in our lives to the praise of your glory. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 3. This is the very word of God. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. That is the reading of God's word. If you have been with us the last few weeks, you may remember that Hebrews chapter 10, the previous chapter, contains one of the most sober warnings in all of Scripture. Scan back with me to, to verse 26 of chapter 10. The author writes, For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment." It is a sober warning. The author is, is warning the Hebrews that if, if they turn away from repentance to, to go their own way, if they leave the salvation that has been proclaimed to them, if they are moved from the hope of that Gospel, there is no other sacrifice for sins. If you reject Christ, there is no other name given under heaven by which men must be Saved. So he's warning them not to drift from the salvation they have heard and received. But after giving this warning, the author ends the chapter with a with a statement of bold confidence. Look now at at verse 39, the the last verse of, of chapter 10. After giving this sober warning, the author goes on to say, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. The author has warned the Hebrews that if if they shrink back, if they leave behind their repentance, if they go on sinning deliberately then they will be destroyed. There there is no hope of salvation for those who reject Christ. But he then, with with great confidence, adds, but we are not of those who will shrink back. We are not of those who will be destroyed. But on the contrary, we are of those who have faith. We will be saved. Now to some, that that juxtaposition of, of warning And and confidence seems odd. If the author is confident, why would he give the warning? If he feels they need a warning, how can he be confident? But I want you to see this morning that the the warning and the confidence actually go hand in hand. The the author's confidence does not negate his warning. The warning does not undermine his, his confidence, but rather his confidence is that the Hebrews have the faith that they need to receive the warning and to respond to it appropriately. He knows that they have what they need to respond to the warning appropriately because he knows that they are people of faith. That's the confidence. And it is faith that that hears the voice of God and does not harden its heart, but rather hears the word of God and responds with appropriate repentance. And so what I want us to see this morning is the source or the the foundation of the author's confidence in the Hebrews. How can he be so sure that they are people of faith who will not shrink back? How can he be so sure that, that they will in fact persevere and save their souls? This is exactly the the assertion that he is defending in the first verses of of chapter 11. You you know that these chapter divisions were were not part of the original text. They're there to help us find our place. But uh, in the original, verse 39 of chapter 10 flows directly into the first verses of, of chapter 11. And so the author who has just said, we are not of those who shrink back, but of those who have faith, he is now explaining that. He's explaining the the source of his confidence, and really his, his argument has three parts to it. First, he explains why faith leads to not shrinking back. And the reason that faith leads to not shrinking back is because of the nature of faith itself. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And those who are assured of the things they hope for will not shrink back. He then says that those who then have this unshrinking faith, they will preserve their souls. Why? Because those who have such faith receive God's commendation. But then, of course, then comes the crux of the argument. How is he so sure that the Hebrews have this faith? And he tells us that that he knows that they have this faith because they, by faith, understand that the universe was created by the Word of God and not made out of things that are visible. So this morning I want us to, to look at each part of that argument, each step in his, his logic, so that we might see that what he says of the Hebrews is true of us this morning. And so that we might have the same confidence that he has regarding our ability to hear the warning and to respond with faith. So let's begin with the first part of the argument. The first thing that the author wants us to see is that those who have faith do not shrink back. And the reason that they do not shrink back is because faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen. Now that language of assurance or conviction, that's a language that we are familiar with. We understand what it is to be sure. We understand what it is to have a conviction. To be assured is to believe confidently that something is true. To have a conviction is to be convinced that something is true. The question is, what is it of which we are assured? What is our conviction? He uses the language of hoped for. And again, we we know what it is to hope for something. We just came through the the Christmas season and probably many of our our children, if not some of our adults, were hoping to get certain things for for Christmas. There were things that they desired, things that they hoped for. But we have to understand that there is a difference between the way Scripture uses the language of hope and the way we often use the language of hope today. We use hope to, to... Describe those things that we desire, those things that we would like to get, those things that we would feel thankful for if they happened to show up under the tree on, on Christmas morning. There's a, there's a sense of desire or, or, or a sense of, of wanting something. And of course, hope has that connotation. You don't hope for something just because you think it's going to happen. Sometimes that's Dread. You think something's going to happen and you're not so excited about it. You, you think something's going to go wrong. This is, this is the way that uh, many of us live. We, we just always are expecting something to go wrong. We don't call that hope. Hope is when you desire something, when you regard something as a good, when you would receive it as a blessing. But even knowing that that hope is something that we desire, we can easily go wrong at this point because there are many today who would define faith as the assurance that God is going to give them what they want. Faith is is you name what you want and then you just expectantly wait for God to give it to you. This is not the way that the Scriptures use the language of, of hope. As believers, what is it that we hope for? We hope not for what we simply desire, but we hope for the good things that He has promised. You see, hope is set upon His word. Hope is set upon His His promise. The, the assurance of, of hope. The assurance of things hoped for is the assurance that God will give us all that He has promised to give. That He will not withhold any blessing that He has promised will be ours. God is faithful. He will surely do it. He will surely do what? He will surely do all that He has promised to do. And so all of the promised blessings that are ours in Christ, we can be confident that we will Receive them. we can be confident that, that the inheritance will be given because we are assured of things hoped for. Not just assured that God's going to give us what we want, but assured that He is going to give us all that He has promised in Christ. And notice how He describes the things hoped for. He describes them as things not seen. Now that doesn't mean that, that all the things that God has promised promised are immaterial rather than material. He, he, he's not making the distinction there, but by saying that they are not seen, he is saying that they are not yet given. Think of Paul's language in his letter to the Romans. He says, who hoped for what he already has? If you already have it, you don't hope for it, you enjoy it. You hope for what you do not yet have. You hope for what is not yet seen in the sense of not yet possessed. In fact, when he uses that language of not yet seen, He might mean that we we don't even yet see the fulfillment on the horizon. We don't even yet see a cloud the size of a man's hand. It's it's hope against hope as Paul describes it in in Romans. Think about what that phrase means. When, When Paul tells us that Abraham hoped against hope, he means he hoped when there was no visible reason for hope. His hope was was not in the fact that he could read the markets or that he could see the trends or that he knew things were going in a certain direction. His hope was not in what he could see was unfolding, but his hope was in the God who controls all things, the hope in the God who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And therefore, if God has said it, it will be. And so we hope, we are assured of things hoped for, even when they are not yet seen, even when the fulfillment is not yet even on the horizon. We are able to wait with hope because we know that the God who has promised is a God who is faithful. And when you have that sort of hope, when you have that sort of faith in God, you will not shrink back. Think about how that works. Think about how such faith and and the things that are hoped for, think about how that assurance keeps us from shrinking back. I, I think it actually works in two ways. And we see both of them illustrated for us in the the parable of the the soils. The the sower who goes out to to sow. You'll remember there were four types of soil. First, there was some seed that that fell along the path, and that seed was quickly taken away by the birds. But then there was some seed that fell among the rocks, and there was other seed that fell among... the thorns. And as Jesus interprets the parable for his disciples, he, he tells them that the, the parable, that the, the soil with the the so, the rocks, the, the soil where there, there can the, the seed can get no root, that is the seed that is scorched by the sun. The sun representing the, the trials and the, the tribulations of, of life, the, the hard things that we all must endure in this broken world. But there was also other seed that that fell among the thorns. And the thorns in life did not represent the hard things, but actually the good things. It actually represented material blessing and abundance and and affluence and the the care for for riches and the care for the, the goods of this world. Would actually lead us astray and so you see that that we can be led to shrink back either because we are afraid of something bad or because we are pursuing something good and the assurance of things hoped for protects us from from both the, the trials and the temptations. It allows us to endure, endure the trials and, and resist the temptations. It, it allows us to endure the trials because we, we recognize that this trial can't undo the promises of God. There is nothing in this trial that can separate us from, from God's love. There is, there is nothing in this trial that can thwart God's purpose of working good for those who love Him. In fact, we have the promise that God will actually use the trial to bring about further good. He will work all things together for the good of those who love Him. And so those who have the assurance of things hoped for, they are able to endure the trial. But not only are they able to endure the trial, they're they're also able to resist the temptation because they recognize, even as Moses recognized, that whatever pleasure is being offered is fleeting, when compared with the eternal weight of glory that is promised in Christ. We will not leave the the solid joys of our inheritance for the fleeting pleasures of Pharaoh's court. We have the endurance to stand against temptation because we know that those temptations cannot compare with what is ours in Christ. And so therefore, the assurance that all that has been promised is ours, that assurance strengthens us and and keeps us from shrinking back that we might receive the inheritance in full. And really, that's the second thing that he wants us to see he wants us to see that those who have this unshrinking assurance they will receive all that has been promised they will preserve their souls and he he demonstrates this by pointing to the people of old the, the people of the old testament the old testament people of god he says that they receive their commendation now a commendation is a, is a praise. It, 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 is, it is God saying to someone, well done. And it is clear that the author believes that the Old Testament saints received this commendation by faith. It is sometimes mistakenly believed that that the Old Testament people of God, they received God's commendation by their works. They received God's commendation under the law. And now only in the New Testament has God lowered the bar for us so that we can get in a little easier. That's not the way that it works. The author makes it clear that even the Old Testament people of God received their commendation by Faith. They they were declared to be right in God's eyes. They were declared to be righteous, not by their works, but by faith. Abraham, of course, is the the classic example. We we see it in Genesis 15 when when Abraham believes God's promise. He believes that God will indeed give him an heir and, and fulfill all his promises. And we are told that he believed God And it was counted to him as righteousness. He was declared to be righteous in the sight of God because he believed, because he had faith, because he was assured of things hoped for. And of course, the whole chapter here before us is a a chapter which shows that that was not true only of Abraham, but that it was true of all the Old Testament people of God. We will see time and again, beginning with Abel, That they received their commendation by faith. But of course, chapter 11 climaxes with the person of Jesus Christ in the opening verses of chapter 12. And Jesus Christ Himself was glorified. He received His commendation because for the joy set before Him by faith in the joy that was promised, He endured the cross. He went to the cross entrusting Himself to the Father, knowing that the Father would not abandon Him to Hades, but that He would raise Him again on the third day, knowing that in His obedience, even to the point of death, and coming under the curse, He would redeem His brothers from the curse, and He would lead many sons to glory. From the beginning, God's commendation has come to God's people through faith. And this is what the author wants the Hebrews to see. He says, listen, your, your faith, which, which strengthens you from shrinking back, is a faith that receives the commendation of God. But how is that commendation then, how is that related to the Hebrews. How, how does he know that the Hebrews have such faith? Well, this is the point that he drives home in, in verse 3. He says that he knows that the Hebrews have this faith because by this faith they understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. Now, if you're like me, You might be struggling to see the logic. You you might be struggling to to follow the author's flow of of thought. How how does their believing that the universe was created prove that they have the assurance of things hoped for? How how does a backwards-looking faith relate to a forward-looking faith? But that's the point that he ties together with that little phrase right there at the end. What is it that they believe? They believed that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. And so what is he seen? He, he said that, that faith, forward-looking faith, is the assurance of things not seen. And when you look back at creation, what is it that you believe? You believe that God created the entire universe out of things that are not seen. You believe that God called into existence by the mere word of His power. All that is. He called the universe into existence. He didn't make it out of stuff that was already there. He didn't make it out of stuff that was already seen. He called into existence the things that were not. And if you believe that God called into existence the things that were not by the mere word of His power, then surely you can trust Him to call into existence the fulfillment of all that He has promised, even when you don't yet see it. See, that's the author's point. He, he is talking to people who believe the creation. As, as Jews, as, as Hebrews, they, they probably couldn't even conceive of not believing in the creation. I realize that's not true for our culture today. There may be some here this morning who who struggle to believe that that God called the universe into existence. And if if that is where you find yourself this morning, we need to have a farther back conversation. And I would love to have that conversation with you. If you you are here and and you are struggling to believe that God is the creator and sustainer of the universe, if those words that we confess this morning are are still a puzzle to you, then please let us get together. Let Let us talk. But for most of us here this morning, we believe that that God is the creator. We believe that that God is the one who called this universe into existence by the word of His power. And what the author wants you to see is that if you believe that, then you have all the faith you need to trust Him for the future. You don't need to work up a new faith. You don't need to to develop a different faith, a, a better faith so that you can have the strength not to shrink back. You simply need to take the faith that you have in God, the Creator, and you need to direct it to His promises. You need to use the faith that is yours. That's exactly what the author wants the Hebrews to do. He says, listen, you've already got faith in the Creator. Use that faith. Put it to work. Put it to work by directing it towards the promises of God. Because if you can believe in the promises of God, if you can rest assured in all the things that He has promised, then you will have all the strength you need not to shrink back when the trials come and the temptations lure. We have the faith. Let's use it. Let's direct our faith towards the promises of God. And think about how you do that. How do you direct your faith towards the promises of God? Well, it's it's not a secret. It's not some secret recipe. It's the things that we have already been doing here this morning. This this morning we have been confessing our faith, our our backward-looking faith in the Creator God. And then we have been taking that faith and we have been remembering His promises, His promise to forgive those who come to Him seeking repentance. His promise to give an eternal inheritance to those who who rest in Him. His promise to to strengthen those who wait upon Him. You see, you direct your faith towards the promises of God by strengthening your faith in the act of worship, whether gathered together as the people of God or whether in your, your own homes. This is actually what Scripture reading is, is all about. It is, it is remembering the past faithfulness of God. At the beginning of year, at the year, we often make resolutions to, to read the Scriptures. And I'm suspecting there are many of you here this morning who have, who have made a, a resolution like that. You've, you've decided that this is the year you're going to read through the Bible. Why did you do that? Why did you make such a resolution? In my experience, people often make that good resolution for very bad reasons. They make the good resolution to read through the Bible because they want God to see them and be impressed. They want God to see them and, and know that they are devoted because if they know just how devoted, then maybe God will do a little bit more to bless them this coming year. Let me remind you that we do not read the Scriptures so that God will see us and be impressed. But rather, we give ourselves to the Scriptures. We give ourselves to the reading of the Word so that we might see God and be impressed. Let us pray as we read the Scriptures together this year that He would open our eyes to see Him because it's in seeing Him, it's in in seeing His past faithfulness that our faith is strengthened. And we are then able to direct that faith to the promises of God. But of course, we must know the promises. Remember, we're not just trusting Him for, for whatever we want. We're, we're trusting Him for what He has promised to give. And so again, it comes through the, the Word as we hear it in worship, as we, as we read it in, in private, as we speak it in truth to, to one another. We need to remember the promises. We need to remember all that He has said that He will do for us in Christ. So this year, may we be people whose faith looks back to all that God has done so that we might look forward to all that He has promised to do with conviction and assurance. Because it is the assurance of things hoped for that will strengthen us not to shrink back in this coming year. Whether you are battered by trials or whether you are lured by temptation. You have need of endurance. And that endurance comes through faith. And that faith is strengthened by His Word. So may we be people of His Word this year. People who look back. That we might look forward and rest. Not confident in ourselves. But confident in the One who is faithful. To do all that He has promised to do. And because our God is faithful, because His Word is sure, because He leaves undone nothing that He has said He will do, that is why we call this good news. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Let us believe it together. Father God, we come before You now humbly asking that You would grow our faith. Help us to look at You in Your past faithfulness that we might rest in You for Your future provision of all that You have promised. We ask this boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.